Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let me pray. Father, we ask that we would receive this as it is the word of the Lord, that we would hear what it is that your spirit is saying to the churches. That we would know that this word, which was superintended by your spirit at the hands of holy men for the Hebrew Christians in the first century is not only for them, but your spirit superintended for us as well. We pray that we would be godly listeners. That we would be hearers of the word and doers as well, that we would not only listen and acknowledge the truth, but that we would believe and repent and obey, that you would be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the primary curses that we read about in the Old Testament, one of the curses as of the different kinds of curses that come upon the Old Covenant people Um, those under the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament, um, is the curse of a famine. There are various curses that are talked about when when God's people reject his word, but one of the primary ones that is emphasized is the curse of a famine. Famine in the land is a result of Israel failing to obey God's covenant word to Moses. There is a particularly interesting famine that's actually listed in one of um, the latter prophets or in what we call the minor prophets, which minor means one of the shorter books. It's not hard to figure out. Major prophets, the bigger ones. Minor prophets, the shorter ones. In one of the shorter prophets um, called Amos. In fact, in Amos chapter 8, there's a famine that's listed there that is uh, a famine that is, that is spoken of in an eschatological way. In other words... Uh, spoken of in, in terminology that is, that is pitching you forward to the last days, to the end times. It was common, it is common in the prophets, that you will find that history becomes the foundation, what's happening in Israel historically, becomes the foundation for what God is saying is coming eschatologically or in the last days. And so the prophet sees the event, the famine happening now, and he goes from there to God's last day's judgment. That's common. Amos does that. In fact, in Amos 8, 11, he says this. Just listen to it. You don't have to turn there. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread. Usually you think of a famine, you think of bread and water. We have nothing to drink, nothing to eat. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. But what's the famine? But of hearing the words of the Lord. Note what the famine is. It's not a famine of bread or a famine of water, but a famine of hearing 
the words of the Lord. The people had rejected the word of the Lord, and so the Lord cursed them with a famine of hearing his word. What's interesting is the fallout from the famine. In the next verse, in Amos 8, 12, we read this. They shall wander. That's the people who no longer have God's words because there's a famine of hearing it. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In other words, the famine of the word of the Lord has led to a chaotic and unfruitful search for God's word in a kind of global fashion. Their lives are a mess. They're searching across the globe for words that answer what ails them, but they can find none. Now, friends, in our own day, in our own day, there's a famine in the land of hearing the word of the Lord. We see people searching the world for answers. They run to all manner of empty and vain religions and philosophies and therapies in an attempt to be satisfied with the bread of life without which man cannot live. Yet they continually turn up empty. Their broken cisterns hold no water, and thus they lick the dust rather than drink from the brook of the Lord. They reject the bread of life, the one from whose heart flows rivers of living water, and they wonder why they hunger and why they thirst. Now, while there is a famine in the land among unbelievers, there's also a seemingly prevalent immaturity among the saints. We see Christ's church caught up with all manner of error, led astray by various false teachers, and easily captured by the lies of Satan. Many Christians seem to refuse to mature and to grow in doctrinal discernment. Many seem content, content to be unskilled in the word as spiritual babies who are easily taken advantage of. And frankly, many pastors are complicit in their immaturity. In many cases, neither the sheep nor the shepherds have much interest in doctrinal maturity and discernment. In fact, the pietist and revivalist movements that swept across America in the 19th century, a movement that stresses the personal, subjective, religious experience above objective truth found in the external word, seems, uh, you know, a movement really that largely makes up the air we breathe in the modern church, seems committed to the notion that doctrine divides. That those who study to show themselves approved are to be looked upon with suspicion. We say that doctrinal knowledge, you heard this, doctrinal knowledge puffs up. And that what we really need, what we really need is an authentic experience of the Holy Spirit. Little do the contemporary evangelicals know that they're actually walking the path that 19th century liberals created for them. And friends, Hebrews has something to say about all this. 
Hebrews has something to say about this. As is the pattern in Hebrews, um, as we go through the book, we're always moving in Hebrews from exposition. Here's the doctrine. To exhortation. Listen. Pay attention. Look to Christ. Let us do X. Let us do Y, etc. Here's who Christ is. Pay attention. Here's who Christ is. Listen to his word. Here's who Christ is. Repent, believe, etc. We always go from this kind of exposition of the doctrine of who Christ is and how he is better than the old covenant to exhortation. Here's what you're to do with it. Hebrews 5, which we've been moving through, moves in verses 1 through 11. Hebrews 5, 1 through 11, laying out the ministry of the old covenant high priest, the Aaronic priesthood. It lays it out. And then in Hebrews 5, 1 through 11, really that's in verses 1 through 4, it lays out the ministry of the old covenant priest. And then in verses 5 through 10, sorry, Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. In 5 through 10, it lays out for you how Christ is better than the old covenant high priest. He's better. It lays that out. It's just doctrine of the priesthood of Christ and compared to the old covenant high priest. And then after you get that doctrine in verse 11, you get exhortation. About this, we have much to say. And then he goes on to give them exhortation. Look there at verse 11. About this, we have much to say. About what? Look what he's just said. Verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. See, about this doctrine of Christ, the high priest, the better new covenant high priest, the one who is infinitely better than all the old covenant high priests who are after the order of Aaron, about this, if you will, priesthood of Christ, this Melchizedekian priesthood of Christ, we have more to say. Now, he's going to say that more in chapter 7. But before he goes on to articulate what else he has to say about that, look what he says. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. That's That's because it's such a difficult doctrine, right? It's hard to explain. Now, look at his reason why it's hard to explain. Since these are the deep things of God and you can't possibly understand them. Is that what it says? It's hard to explain since, because, you have become dull of hearing. Well, this is the central truth of this passage. It's the general charge in our exhortation. See, I want to say, what he's saying to you is, I want to say more about Christ being our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But, but it's hard to explain. And why is it hard to explain? Because you've become dull of hearing. Hear the problem? Why is it hard to explain? What's the problem? The problem is not that doctrine is some kind of unrevealed mystery or something that's just entirely beyond their ability to apprehend. Now, I choose the word apprehend intentionally. Apprehend as opposed to comprehend. You can get a hold of it. You can understand it. You can apprehend it. But you can't comprehend. In other words, you can't take the doctrine of Christ's person and wrap your hand all the way around it and understand it fully. You can't. But you can apprehend the truth that is revealed in Scripture. It's not entirely beyond their ability to apprehend. That's not the problem. The problem is that they are dull of hearing. Um, it can be translated, they're, they're, you guys like the word sloth. 
You guys seen a sloth? Said the sloth, if you've seen that, right? They're slothful hearers. They're lazy hearers. They don't listen well. That's the problem. It is true that the doctrine he is teaching may lead them into the mysteries of Christ and mysteries of Christ that are in some regards incomprehensible, but they are able to apprehend what has been revealed in divine scripture. They can grasp what God has revealed in Christ and his word. The problem is not, please hear this, the problem is not with the biblical revelation being too difficult to apprehend. Now, we understand there are some passages that are more clear and some that are less clear, but the general problem that he's dealing with here is with their spiritual and doctrinal laziness. Look at Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. And do you see, do you see the expectation at the beginning of verse 12 of the, of the Hebrew Christians? The expectation is, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You've ought to, you ought to have studied the word of God to show yourself approved so that you're mature and could be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. These Hebrews knew their Old Testament before hearing the gospel fulfillment in Christ. They had been well instructed in the basic principles of the oracles of God. Yet rather than being teachers, they needed someone to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. This phrase, the basic principles of the oracles of God, seems to be a reference to the gospel. Namely, how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. In other words, you have been taught already how the Old Testament types and shadows, offers and, or excuse me, offices and sacrifices are fulfilled in the person, office, and work of Christ. You've been told that already. You ought to know those basics. But you're lazy listeners. And so you have to be taught the gospel again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, milk is not always bad. In, in one place, we have the pure milk of the Word of God in First Peter. That milk is being used differently in First Peter there. But here, milk is not being used in a... And it's not saying milk is bad. It's just this isn't exactly complementary. You need milk and not solid food. In other words, the point here is that you're like spiritual babies who are still nursing. You have not matured to the point of being able to handle solid food. What he's saying is that shouldn't be. You should have matured, but you refuse to grow up. You refuse to be good listeners to God's word. You should know basic Christian doctrine, the basics of the gospel we believe, yet you are not even adept at knowing that, thus you need to lay again the foundation. You need us to explain the basic doctrine of the gospel to you again. You see, we really cannot move, please hear this, we cannot move on to teaching you toward maturity until you grasp this. That's what he's saying. If you don't get a hold of the basic gospel doctrines, you can never be taught to maturity. That was a problem for so many of us, wasn't it? At one point, sort of lousy listeners, 
maybe regenerate believers in Christ, but content to stay as spiritual infants in churches that were content to keep us in spiritual infancy. I, that was the case for me. I was content to be a spiritual infant. I remember it quite well. And then one day, the Lord grabbed a hold of us, held up the gospel in front of us so that we saw how all of the scriptures unfold in Jesus Christ, and suddenly our maturity began, and we wanted to be in the word and growing. But it was not until that point that that happens. You almost feel like you got saved again. Maybe in some cases you did. Maybe you weren't saved the first time. I don't know, but the point is you saw the maturity kick in as God's spirit worked in this way. What he's saying is you can't handle solid food until you grasp this. To grasp the basics of Christianity, you're not going to handle solid food. Look at verse 13. For everyone who look, lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Nobody likes to be called a child when they're an adult, right? Here, the idea of you're an infant. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness because you're an infant. See, how can I feed solid food to a nursing infant? I can't. They're not mature enough for it. Thus, due to your spiritual laziness, I need to feed you the milk of the basic principles of the gospel. That's what he's saying to his audience. You can't handle solid food. Now look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Notice this point. Solid food is for the mature. Those who already fed well on the milk of the gospel, those who understand the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, they're mature enough to eat solid food. You see, the mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. So let me make a couple notations here. First, the mature are folks who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Do you guys notice that? In other words, the spiritually mature have made it a habit, a constant practice, an ongoing discipline to study God's Word, to meditate on God's Word, to improve their knowledge of the basic doctrine of Christianity by the regular and habitual pursuit of learning more. Second, note that their constant practice is to learn to distinguish good and evil. That's an interesting comment. Why good and evil? Why not truth and error? Isn't that what you would expect there? Because the metaphor is about food. That's why good and evil. Food, either the things you consume, either nourish your body or poison your body. If doctrine is true, it nourishes us. If doctrine is false, it poisons us. And these folks that are habitually practicing learning the truth, they're committed to knowing good doctrine so that they are nourishing their souls and are not poisoned by the deceitful lies of the serpent. So as you can see, the exhortation is really quite simple, isn't it? Be a godly listener. Be a good listener. That's it. 
A good listener is someone who listens well to God's word, who makes it a habit to hear the word of the Lord, to trust him, and to obey him, right? It's not a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. But in an effort to draw out some more specific exhortation for you, I want to make really two basic applications this morning. And, and they're really two groups I want to apply the text to. Um, one is to pastors, teachers, and elders. And the other is to um, church members. Now, as I apply it to pastors, teachers, and elders, you might ask the question, well, I'm not a pastor, teacher, and elder. Um, Maybe if you're a man here, you aspire to be at some point. That is a good aspiration. But even if you're not, you ought to know what you should expect of your pastors, teachers, and elders. Second, the application of church members applies to us all. So, so let's look at the pastors, teachers, and elders. And when I say this, I'm just trying to combine all those guys in one group. Here's the first application I want to make. We need to provide milk to the mature, immature. We need to provide milk to the immature. Christ, please hear this. When you see this kind of rebuke, rebuke in Hebrews, please do not hear the author saying that Christ despises weak and immature sheep. He does not. In fact, Paul teaches Timothy that we're to instruct the sheep, right? We're to preach the word with complete patience and teaching. Christ does not despise his weak and immature sheep. The Father does not reject his infant children in the faith. He doesn't. Thus, we need to understand that we should teach them with all patience, providing milk, teaching them the basic doctrinal truths for those who are newborn Christians and those who are immature Christians. The pastor should not forsake that ministry. The elders should not forsake that ministry. They shouldn't despise the immature. They should instruct them. Second, we need to provide meat for the mature. So pastors, elders, teachers need to provide milk for the immature. They need to provide meat for the mature. Christ does not encourage us. Please hear this. Christ does not encourage us to leave his sheep in a state of lacking discernment. They need to be able to discern good and evil or true and false doctrine. The father is not satisfied with perpetually immature children. Thus, we need to instruct the sheep toward maturity. Look at Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28. Paul will talk about his own ministry here. And notice the language that he uses. Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim. Him being Christ. We proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. What's the goal that Paul has? To present everyone mature in Christ. That is the reason Christ gave the gift of pastors and elders, teachers to the church. So they might be mature in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So to go toward the gospel. A couple letters there. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what it says in verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he's going to 
talk about the gift that Christ, the head of the church, gave to the church. Look down at verse 11. And he, that being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. We see them all operating in the apostolic era in the book of Acts. But notice what he goes on to say. The shepherds or the pastors and teachers. For what end? To perfect the saints. For the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice this. To mature manhood to the measure of the statue to the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You hear why Christ gave these pastors and teachers to the church? To grow the body in maturity. So that we're doctrinally discerning. So that we speak the truth and love to one another. So that we're no longer spiritual infants. So that we grow up and aren't tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So that we're spiritually or doctrinally discerning. I am continually, though, told by pastors, and I, I have to tell you this, I meet a lot of brothers who I think are in error here, but they tell me often, well, people, the people in Christ's church cannot handle the deep things of God. There are just a lot of texts and doctrines that are just too difficult. So I skip those. They just flat tell me that. I, th- I think it's astoundingly arrogant to say I can handle it, but those people out there are too dumb for it. But beyond that, I've noticed that those texts are generally not difficult because they're unclear. They're difficult because they're unpopular. And even those that are more difficult with clarity, we have the biblical responsibility to help folks understand. And we can help them understand the less clear passages by bringing to bear the more clear passages as Scripture interprets Scripture. We teach them to do that. See, we need to teach folks the mysteries of Christ, the deep things of God. We need to teach folks the difficult texts. That is our duty as pastors and elders, to call the sheep to maturity and to teach them to that end. Pastors, listen, pastors who refuse this duty are in sin. Those pastors not just have a different method of ministry. Those pastors are sinning. They're failing in their responsibility to Christ's sheep. Third, no one should be a pastor teacher. So pastors need to teach the immature, if you will, feed them milk. Pastors need to teach, the, teach people toward maturity and The third one is no one should be a pastor or teacher who's not themselves doctrinally mature. That's the implication of that. You can only lead people as far as you've gone. If they're following you, they're generally not. There are exceptions to the rule, but they're generally not going to go past where you lead them. If you still need milk and are not well trained in the word of righteousness 
and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and not practiced in the habit of discerning good and evil, then you shouldn't be teaching others. James never says, all of you should be teachers, my brothers, or most of you should be teachers, my brothers. He says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers. If you've not engaged in the habitual study that leads you to being able to discern the good and the evil, false and true doctrine, then you should not be a pastor or teacher in Christ's church. Pastors should be well-trained and equipped. Pastors and elders must be discerning. They must be able to teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Listen, we require those we're setting apart for full-time ministry in our church to be seminary trained. Now, we do not require seminary training because we think the church is incapable of training folks. That's not why we do it. We require seminary because the Lord Jesus has blessed the modern church with an embarrassing wealth of resources that we want our men to take advantage of. Now let me make application to church members. Church members. Here's the first application for the average church member. You need to be good listeners. Do you hear that? And by good listeners, I don't mean just engage and look at me while I'm preaching. Shake your head. You know, I, I always joke that the Tysons are the most fun couple for me to look at while preaching. Because Adam's British and Amy is definitely not. And so I look over at them and as I'm preaching, Amy's crying. She's laughing. She's nodding her head in, you know, in approval. Adam's sitting there looking like he's a bit disgruntled. And, <laughs> and so all in one look. I'm encouraged and humbled all at the same time, right? (laughs) Sorry to pick on you guys. You need to be godly listeners. That doesn't mean that you smile at me the whole time I'm preaching or shake your head. That means that you hear the word of God, you believe the word of God, And you obey the word of God. That doesn't mean you take good notes. That you can use later to destroy people on social media. That means you hear the word of God. You believe the word of God. And you obey the word of God. When I say to you that you need to be a good listener. I mean you need to hear with faith, repentance, and obedience. Now I... I, I, Mind you, I know that's a gift of the Holy Spirit that you do, but that's how you're supposed to listen. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. After after Christ has been compared, really, to the giving of the Mosaic Covenant, which the angels mediated, and he's being held up saying, this is the eternally begotten Son of God, whom we worship, whom we call God, um, And those were angels who delivered a message to us, but they're just servants. They're just angels. After saying that, he says, they delivered the old covenant. He's delivering the new covenant. And look what they say. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What we've heard from the Son of God. See, long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
And, in, and we're told in Galatians 3.19, in the case of Moses, through the mediation of angels at Mount Sinai, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Again, he teaches that Jesus is greater than Moses. He says Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus, Jesus is the son in God's house. He's the heir in God's house. Did you notice, by the way, Moses and Jesus are in the same house? Did you notice that? Moses is a servant in the house. Jesus is the son. Look what he says then. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's going to go on to verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, the promise of entering, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. How do we show that fear? By hearing and obeying, by believing. Look at verse 11. There, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, we're to listen, to pay attention. If you do not listen, in a godly fashion, you will wander from the faith. You'll be seduced by your own lusts and the concerns of this world. Now, I'm not merely indicting the sin of not listening. That's not all I'm doing. It's not like, you know, when your wife, oh, guys, says to you, you're not listening to me. And you say, yes, I am. And you repeat everything she says. She says, yeah, but you're not listening to me. Right? It's beyond even that. It's like what's said um, in the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Not just hear the announcement that we have one God, but it's hear that with faith, with repentance, with obedience. Worship only him. You can listen and learn much doctrine without any faith, repentance, or obedience. Do you understand that? You can listen like someone who's tickling their intellectual curiosity as someone who wants to be clever and win arguments. You can listen as someone who's always learning, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Man, that's a horrific indictment. Always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So you must listen with faith and repentance and obedience. Second application of church members. You're commanded to improve upon the teaching you have received by continually listening to sound teaching, studying and meditating upon the Word of God. The mature are those who are trained in constant practice. They have made learning sound doctrine, studying the Word of God, a habit. They are infants in evil, but mature in their thinking, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. 
So you need to improve upon your understanding of the gospel mysteries so that you may grow in maturity. Let me give you an example. It's often said, you guys have heard it, that Romans 9 through 11 is a more difficult section of Scripture. It's such a hard section of Scripture to understand, I'm told. In those three chapters, Paul deals with the mystery of divine election, how that applies to Jew and Gentile, etc. I've had pastors actually tell me that they preach through Romans to chapter 8, and then they just stop. Or sometimes they'll preach 12 through 15, 16, but they, they just skip those chapters altogether because that section is just too difficult. To which I want to reply, well, if you clearly, systematically, and patiently teach the gospel basics in Romans 1 through 8, then your people will be ready to eat the strong meat in Romans 9 through 11. The reason the doctrine of, edu- of, excuse me, of election is difficult is not that the doctrine lacks biblical witness. It's clear. It's difficult because until you understand the depths of your sin and the superabounding grace of the gospel, you will not apprehend the the doctrine of divine election. You won't. And frankly, until you understand the gospel's glories as applied to your own heart and mind, your approach to the doctrine of election may be more about intellectual curiosity than it is about joyful confidence in God's grace and admiration for God for such kindness. When you pursue knowledge out of vain curiosity, your your improvement in knowledge is rightly called a puffing up in pride. When you pursue knowledge in faith in Christ and hungering for the nourishment of his word, your improvement in in knowledge actually leads to humility, faith, And boasting in the Lord. The third application. Neglect of this duty to mature doctrinally is a sin that displeases the Lord. Did you hear that? I said pastors who neglect their duty in teaching you to maturity are in sin. And listen, members who neglect the duty of maturing doctrinally are also in sin. It seems that some folks think there's some virtue in a faith in Christ that does not pursue hard after doctrinal discernment. There is not any virtue in that kind of faith. There is only disobedience in that. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We're to be mature in our thinking, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. We're to be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is within us, 1 Peter 3.15. We're to be habitually training ourselves in understanding the word of God so that we can discern good and evil. Sovereign grace, the Lord has given our church and the whole church in this age an embarrassing wealth of resources and two millennia filled with godly teachers of the word. It is our privilege and our duty to make use of those resources so that we might grow in godly maturity. May we grow in maturity. And may the famine in the land come to an end so that many feed on the bread of, excuse me, feed on the bread of life and drink from the brook of the Lord as they look to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me pray. Father, we ask 
that you would apply your word to our hearts and minds, that we would listen in a godly way, that we would make a constant practice of studying and learning, sitting under the preaching of your word, that we would meditate, that we would be as the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Thus he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Maybe we be like that fruitful, well-grounded tree as we meditate on your word day and night. May you transform us by the renewing of your mind, our minds, so that we aren't conformed to the pattern of this world, so that we know what your will is, your good and acceptable and pleasing will. Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work in us, causing us to repent of laziness, slothfulness, inattention, pride, vain curiosity, causing us to hunger, thirst for the pure milk of the word, causing us to desire and to be mature enough to consume strong meat, to be able to hear the mysteries of Christ and so worship him in truth to become discerning mature as a church so that we aren't thrown tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine we know that this comes by the working of your spirit we pray that he work powerfully in our hearts and minds to that end we pray that your son, the head of the church, would send him to that work. We're thankful that he will. We trust you and pray that you would be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen.